Okay. All right. Our uh, our topic for tonight is um, God. That's that's a good thing. To, good good. Uh, yeah, we're gonna cover it all in one night. All in one night, and and just the time we've got remaining here. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about what what God is like, or the uh, the nature and character of God, how, whichever way you want to say it. Talk about his attributes, his his um, his being, his is uh, what is a lot a lot when you when you get to thinking about it, isn't it. But of course, we we will barely skim the surface. But uh, I, I always you know, when I think about the attributes of God, or some people use the word perfections of God, and I, I always like. Uh, you know, Jonathan Edwards used the term excellencies, and so that's what will be uh, part of what we'll be talking about, the excellencies of God. And also, his, as I said, his nature um, uh, somewhat. And the way I'm, I'm going to do it here, um, as you know, I, I will mention, as I am right now, but I'm, I'll mention in a moment, too, the, the Trinity, but, but I want to come back and talk about the Trinity next week, so I won't spend time much on the, the Trinity tonight. Uh, except to mention it where we have to. So I'm gonna um, I'm gonna start with two things here. Um, reading two things here. First is the second article from the uh, 2000 Baptist Faith and Message. Um, and if you want one of these, by the way, we have copies in the back. Or you can take them if you if you don't have one and you want one. It's online too, of course, and we have a link to it on our website. But here's the article two, which is just simply titled God, um, and it reads this way. There is one and only one living and true God. He is an intelligent, spiritual, and personal being, the creator, redeemer, preserver, and ruler of the universe. God is infinite in holiness and all other perfections. God is all-powerful and all-knowing, and His perfect knowledge extends to all things, past, present, and future, including the future decisions of His free creatures. To Him we owe the highest love, reverence, and obedience. The eternal triune God reveals Himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with distinct personal attributes, but without division of nature, essence, or being. Okay, that, that's the 2000 Baptist Faith message, and of course you can find other uh, statements and other uh, confessions as well. One great one is the Westminster Confession, uh, but I won't, I won't read that now. Um, so let me, let me point out a couple things here before I go to, uh, to some other things. Because just today I had... Just today at lunch, I had someone ask me, um, "What about the the Muslims? Do, do, do they worship?" Uh, they, they said, "What about Allah? What about Allah? Do do the do the Muslims worship the same God that we do?" And you get that question every every once in a while, and it's and it's a little difficult to answer for this reason. It's easy and it's difficult. <laughs> it's it's difficult for this reason because they claim to worship. The, the same God, the God of Abraham. So, so that's what makes it a little bit uh, confusing. But when you, when you get down to um, talking about who God is and how God works, can he 
you know, be known or, or not, and I mean known in an intimate uh, way, not just knowing about him, but knowing him. When you get down to all of those things, you know, the details, it's obvious we're, we're not talking about the same God. So, for example, and, and this is one thing that just made me think of it here, um, my understanding of is Islam, and it's limited, of course, uh, but, you know, it's not something I've looked into heavily, but one of the things I understand that they uh, teach is, is that uh, they, they don't think of God as personal like we do. And now, right here in the, in the Baptist Faith and Message, that's one of the first things it says. There's one and only one living true God. And by the way, we, we are uh, Muslims as well as some other religions. We are in agreement on that, that as far as that goes. He is intelligent, spiritual, and per- he is a, an intelligent, spiritual, and personal being. Now, I, I don't know how they exactly describe God. Uh, again, as I say, my, my understanding has been that um, you can basically know about Him, but, but you cannot know Him on a personal basis. You know, as we, we use the term personal so because um, kind of relate it to the way we know each other. You know, we're, we're individuals, we've got personalities, we... We've got attributes, and we, we can know one another. Similarly, we can know God. But some people think of God as, as um, a force, something of that sort. Some people, they, in fact, they have all kinds of ways of describing God. But the biblical God is, is a personal and intelligent being. Um, in, in fact, uh, the term intelligent, too, it's, this is one reason... Um, He's, and, he, and he certainly is. This is one reason you, you hear the, the phrase used uh, in, in opposition to uh, evolution. You know, you hear the term uh, intelligent design. The idea there is that some, someone intelligent, some intelligent being is, is behind all of this, everything that we, that we see. And that is certainly true. That's what the Bible teaches. God is an intelligent intelligent being. And it's amazing, isn't it, that the world just uh, really hates that idea. Um, but it does lead to, uh, it definitely does bring in some other factors. I mean, if God is intelligent and personal, then he's probably also moral, right? <laughs> and if God is moral, <laughs> then, you know, we've, we've opened up a whole uh, Pandora's box, so to speak, there, then that, that means that there's probably, you know, law and, and that we, we are expected to live a certain way. So, so the world doesn't like the idea, generally speaking, the world doesn't like the idea of a personal God, or at least not too personal. All right, so I want to I read you also a verse of Scripture before I come back to some of this. And this is Psalm 145, because I want to s- just see how the, the psalmist speaks about God and, and all of the, uh, the superlatives that he has to uh, employ here <laughs> just to talk about God uh, in, a, in a worshipful way. And our language is so limited, by the way, that, that you, can, uh, you can speak about God this way, and yet we're, we're not... We're not going far enough. I mean, our, our language is too limited, really, to describing um, the way that he is. But here's how 
uh, David writes in Psalm 145. I'm going to read through most of it. I will extol, and notice how he speaks about God. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. That's, that's a great statement to ponder. Um, that's uh, verses on our, that's one I put at the top of our website uh, back when I first put it up. Um, just a powerful uh, statement if you think about it. David is calling for praise that correlates to the greatness of God. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. So he's saying you can't even, uh, you can't even search it out exhaustively. If, if you, you know, you think about them, uh, it's just as an analogy, a picture of them sounding the depths of a, of a, of a lake or, or, some, or a bay or something like that, and, and they figure out where the bottom is and how far it is. And David's saying you can't do that with God's greatness. You never, RF used to say it's like uh, talking about God, thinking about God, studying God. RF used to say it's like trying to empty the ocean with a thimble. (laughs) It's going to take a while. (laughs) You'll never exhaust it as God is so great. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Again, notice that, your mighty acts. In other words, he's just, just thinking about how God works and operates. He, he uses the term mighty. And uh, also verse 5, On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. And you see how David, I mean, when he talks this way, it, it, um, it shows you David's heart. In other words, uh, in his understanding. It shows you what he understands about God. And there's nothing, nothing boring, uh, you know, about it. I mean, he understands God to be great, majestic, glorious, um, mighty. He's in total awe. That's a great way to put it. And, you know, the, the old King James sometimes uses the word awful and, and uh, are, are terrible, also terrible. They use the word terrible sometimes. And for a modern reader, I mean, you say, that doesn't sound too good, you know. <laughs> but it's ac- what it's actually talking about, though, um, is like Wendy was just talking about, to, to be in awe, to be full of awe um, toward God. Verse 7, They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. So, Again, notice abundant goodness, righteousness. Again, he's uh, describing some of God's attributes. Verse 8, the Lord is gracious and merciful. Notice that. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So again, he's giving us some of God's character, his attributes. Gracious and praise God. And by the way, this is, this is the Old Testament. This is Yahweh, Not, Another thing that you will hear people say sometimes is that the God of the Old Testament, you know, was, uh, was, was mean or whatever, was hard to get along with. Where you get over to the New Testament, you've got a, a, a whole different um, revelation. Now you've got the God of love. Well, that's not so. And, and notice that here. 
he's, David says he's merciful. He's gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in, mer- in steadfast love. So you got the same God throughout the Bible, characterized the same way. In verse 9, the Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. What, what a statement that is. The Lord is good to all. Jesus echoes that in the, in the New Testament and says things like, you know, it rains on the just and on the unjust. Sun rises on the just and the unjust. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. Look down at... Um, Let me just skip a little bit to verse um, 13. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in His words, uh, in all His words, and kind in all His works. So He's faithful in all His words, kind in all His works. 14. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. So there you've got a great picture of, you know, again, mercy, rescue for those in need. Fifteen, the eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. So, so he's our, our source, our provider, and he, he cares for us. He cares for creation. He takes care um, to see that everything functions as it, as it should according to his will. Verse 17, Again, the Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His works. Again, what a, what a word that is. Um, righteous in all His ways, kind in all His works. 18, the Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear Him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love Him but the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, which is what he's been doing through this song. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. So David says, here's what I think about God and here's what I want to say about God. And and then he winds up uh, the psalm by saying, now let everybody else join in the chorus. God is great and greatly to be praised. He's an awesome God, and we ought to be in awe of Him. In fact, we ought to be 24-7, right? <laughs> we ought to be in awe of God. He's a, he's a great God. I want to run through some um, a list of things here, um, just, again, concerning what, what God is, is like, what, what the Bible has to say, and I'm not going to, I've got a lot more here than I'm going to, I'm not going to cover it all, but but um, we'll just go through some things. And if you if you got a comment or something, um, feel free to stop me, and uh, and we'll uh, we'll look closer at it if because I may jump over it if if you don't. Um, so first of all, God exists. All right, and that sounds like a funny thing to say, but uh, that again, that's a big question in our day, isn't it? Among a lot of people, is there even a God at all? And the Bible declares that there is, and interestingly, it makes no apology, and um, by that I don't, I don't mean, you know, saying sorry, but I mean uh, like, uh, like 
offering a, an argument, offering a proof. It just, it just assumes. The Bible just starts out, in the beginning, God. So, so God doesn't make a case for himself, so to speak, and say, let me prove to you that I am. He just says, I am. And, and you start off reading the Bible, and God is assumed. In the beginning, God. Get to the, uh, remember when we were in John 1? You got the same thing there. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was in the beginning. Already there. No explanation, you know. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God exists. God exists. Um, well, uh, we know, uh, as, as uh, those who believe the Bible, I mean, it's, it's not, it, it, again, it assumes that God exists, and we're told that God exists, and we accept that. Um, but obviously, you, you know, I mean, there are people who, who uh, doubt it or question it. Um, but there's ev evidence, and, and this is another thing you hear. People say, well, there's not, not evidence. Um, the evidence in reality is everywhere. 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 Um, think about Psalm 19, for example. Let me, Psalm 19, verse 1. The creation tells us that God is. And that's what I was referring to earlier uh, when I mentioned intelligent design. Uh, the, the argument of intelligent design just, just uses that, that fact that um, somebody had to make what we, what we, uh, what we see, and, and, and including ourselves. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Well, how does, how does it do that? You ever thought about that? How does creation declare the glory of God and his handiwork? Keeps going, yeah. Awesome. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It's like looking at a, you know, a, a great painting or something, and, and uh, you don't assume that a, a, a two-year-old did it. You know, you, you, you think that, wow, somebody really talented uh, did that, you know, that, that painting. And, and you don't assume that um, you know, it, just, it just happened apart from any intelligence. Uh, no, you know that somebody painted the thing. And, uh, or if you, you look at a house and you, you assume somebody built it. Um, and... It, it, as you pointed out, you know, just the fact that things keep going, um, some, some, somebody, something is sustaining everything. Um, the, Bob said it's, it's awesome. So the beauty of creation, again, is, is evidence. You know, it's crying out to us that there's a God. There's a God. There's a God. Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs>
accident. That's right. That's right. That's right. I mean, I mean, it's it's obvious. Uh, you know, you think it would be obvious to, to anybody, but um, at any rate, the 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 creation declares it. God God exists. He exists. And, and you know, I, the other day I was talking about the Grand Canyon, and sure, you you know, you look at that and and you just stand in awe of it. But but really, if if we uh, kind of like Wendy's saying, if you stop and think about the little things too. <laughs> watch, watch an ant operate, you know, <laughs> and it's fascinating. I mean, you think, uh, you know, that's not happenstance. That didn't just happen accidentally or come out of nothing. Hmm? Yeah, that's right. It's a good point, too. You know, when you, when you get to the non-physical and you think about things like love, for example, uh, where does that come from? That's That's... One of the things I, I think about with all this, um, um, you know, the, the, the naturalism where there's, there, there is nothing but the physical, and I'm always wondering how do they, how do they explain things like love? And, and if, if there's nothing but the physical and you've got nothing, you've got no soul, you've got no, uh, there's no spiritual side of you, you're just, you're just body, you're just brain, all right? Then how do you explain... Um, one man, for example, one man looking at one woman and feeling differently about her than he does every other woman. You, un you understand what I'm saying? In other words, why do I love my wife differently than I do... I mean, I may love everybody, but, uh, but I, my love for her is definitely unique. If, if we're nothing but physical, um, then, then how, how is that explicable? I mean, it's, it just doesn't... Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. Why well, have any emotions? Yeah. Yes, ma'am. That's a great point because he. It, that's exactly right, and that's what. That's part of what. Uh, what he's done with creation is is, um, is is to give us pleasure. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a great point. It's there for our our pleasure, and e even um, you know people who deny God, they take a great deal of pleasure in in creation. So they're benefiting from his his blessings and denying him in the process. Okay. Um, also, I would say. <coughs> well, I would say, I, I'm going to give you a verse here for it, but I, 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 this, this also seems obvious to me. I think people just have to deny it. Every, everyone has a deep inner sense that God exists. Romans, uh, Romans 1 is kind of the classic verse here uh, for this. But everybody, in other words, what I'm saying is everybody knows there's a God. And so for, <coughs> for an atheist, to be an atheist, <clears throat> they have to deny truth. It's not that they don't. It's not that they don't have it. It's not that they don't know it. it they know it, and they have to. And they have to deny it. Um, look at verse. Uh, 
verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's what they're doing. They suppress the truth. For, Paul goes on to say, verse 19, For what can be known about God is plain to them. Isn't that amazing? He's talking about the wicked here. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Isn't that something? His, His invisible attributes, Paul is saying essentially, are clearly seen. The the invisible is clearly seen. Why? Because God has made it known. And one way is what we just read, Psalm 19. The heavens heavens declare the glory of God. So um, in His creation, He's made Himself known. But again, I would also say that there's there's an inner sense. You know, uh, everybody's aware that God is. And so what they have to do um, to, to, to be an atheist is deny what they know to be true. And that's why I've said before, you know, that I don't believe in atheists. But Worshiping, yeah. There's always worship related. They haven't, they haven't written any books about it or poetry or anything like that. <laughs> no, I, th- I think you're right. I, I don't think they do either. I think it's unique to uh, to human beings, and and it's uh, inherent. It's part it's, it's part of human nature.
you know, and, and some of some of the ones that I've I've heard and read, you know, they they uh, th they see it as a type as a part of the evolutionary process, you know, and and describe it as in you know in, in early on man needed religion for for whatever reason and concocted it and or or it was, uh, you know, possibly even hardwired in, but uh, but. Um, which, by the way, you know, they, there has been studies that, that, have, that have shown that. But it's, it was hardwired in, but now, you know, we've, we've progressed so far down the evolutionary uh, scale there that, that it's no longer necessary. And so they, they feel like, you know, that they are um, the higher species, I guess you, you might say. You know, they, don't, they, don't, they no longer need, and, and that no, you know, it, it's a matter of time before the, everybody else kind of comes on board. And realizes that uh, God is unnecessary. So, <laughs> anyway, um, but but again, I think to to do all of that, just like uh, you were saying as well, you you gotta, you really gotta deny first. You got you gotta deny everything you see uh, in creation, and, and you gotta deny uh, what you what you know to be true in here. And maybe they do get to the point. Now, I say I don't believe in atheists. Uh, you know, m maybe they do get to the point where eventually uh, they they manage to convince themselves. And, and then. I think the biggest thing is, is uh, I mean, it's always seemed to me like the kind of the bottom line is, is escaping accountability. I mean, in other words, what's behind somebody not believing in God? And I think, I think that's what it comes down to, escaping accountability. Uh, they think they're escaping accountability. <coughs> All right, God, an another one here, God is knowable, which we already mentioned a moment ago. Um, we, we can never know him fully. You know, we just read in Psalm 145.3, uh, his greatness is unsearchable. So we can never know him fully. Never. I, I don't think ever. In the, in the eons that we will exist uh, in the, out into the future, we, we will never know God fully, exhaustively. But, because he's infinite, but we can know him Truly, in other words, you can really know Him. Uh, so, for example, Jesus says in John seventeen three, "This is eternal life, that they know You, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom You've sent." Um, so, Jesus says that that's eternal life, to know God. So He's implying, first of all, you can know Him, and when you do know Him, you have eternal life that's good to know also um, we had um, a visitor recently you know that was saying that you you, you can't um, you, you, you're using the term saved you can't be saved until you die well you know <laughs> all through the New Testament it's it's a it's a now thing you, you, you know him now. You're redeemed now uh, if you know him. That's what Jesus is saying. 
you, you know God, you know you have life. So he's knowable. Um, I had a relative uh, who's, who's an uh, uh, yeah, professed agnostic at least, maybe an atheist. Um, not, not a lot of difference to me in, in the terms, but at any rate, um, he told me one time in an in a email discussion that um, you know he was kind of trying to leave room for the possibility that God may exist, but he said, uh, "Look, there's no way God is you know is transcendent. I mean, he's he's far above us, nothing like us. On and on and on, and th- therefore there's no absolutely no way that you can know anything about Him." You know, to which, of course, I responded, well, obviously, you know, you know something about him because you just told me that you can't know anything about him, and that's something about him. Um, and so, <laughs> you know, you're just kind of shooting down your own, your own argument there. But uh, the reason we can know him is, as we just saw, because God makes himself known to us. It's true that he's transcendent, but it's also true that he's imminent, and he's near. And, and, and he reveals himself. He makes himself known to us. Um, so he is definitely knowable. Jeremiah 9.24 says, But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So he says, boast in this, that you understand and know me. He can be known. He's knowable. Um, he's independent. This is, this is in, in, in light of a lot of the, the, the stuff that is said today in the theology, this is one of my, one of my favorites uh, to think about, you know, is the, is the, the fact that God is... Uh, not only independent, but free. I may, I may come back to that. But he's, he's independent. In the, in the, he doesn't need us. He didn't, he didn't create because he had a deficiency. He didn't, he didn't create because he needed somebody to love or something to love or anything like that. He was totally and entirely and completely self-sufficient. He doesn't need us or anything else in, uh, in creation. Um, he's always been, and I'm, uh, here's a quote here from uh, Wayne Grudem, God always has been perfectly and completely happy and fulfilled in his, in his personal existence. God always has been perfectly and completely happy and fulfilled in his personal existence. And it's, he, he needs nothing or no one outside of himself. He is totally and completely uh, Independent in uh, Acts seventeen twenty five, uh, Paul says uh, that he doesn't need to be served by us as though he needed something. Let me let me read that real quick. Acts. This is where he's at Mars Hill talking to the uh, the Athenians who were like Brother Carl was saying a while ago. They were very religious people. That's what Paul says when he when he begins his speaking. But um, they didn't know the true God. They had all kinds of things to worship. 
but not but they weren't worshiping the true God. Paul says in, in Acts 17:24, the God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of the heaven, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. So he's, he's saying, <laughs> saying clearly, he doesn't need anything. He sure doesn't need us um, serving him, you know, serving up something to him. So he says, uh, let me read the rest of that. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So he's the source. He's, he's, he's not the one in need. He's, we're the ones in need, and he's the source from which we get uh, what we need. Remember again in Psalm 145, we read earlier that uh, he supplies, right? We hold out our hands in need, and God, God supplies. Yeah, David said, The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Paul said, He gives to all life, breath, and all things. So, he, he's independent. He, he's not in need of anything. We are dependent upon Him. He's unchangeable. Um word that's often used for that is immutable, but just means unchangeable. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't change uh, in, in the way... Well, let me... Let me I'm, again, this is, this is a quote from... Essentially a quote from... A loose quote from uh, Wayne Grudem. And, and I like the way he words it here. God is unchangeable in the ways the Scripture tells us He is unchangeable. So when Scripture says that He doesn't change, um, he, doesn't, he doesn't change. God is unchangeable, for example, in His being, attributes, purposes, and promises. So just to pull one example out of, out of, out of those four categories, um, He doesn't he doesn't promise you something and then change his mind, for example, and then and then say, "I'm not going to not going to do that," or he doesn't purpose to do something and then not do it. I mean, why would he why would he do that? It's not he, he's perfect, so it's not like he's going to all of a sudden think up a, a better plan and say, "Well, I'll go to Plan B because this is this is better. This will work out better." That would be impossible for God because anything he purposes is already perfect. So he's unchangeable in his being, that is, he himself does not change. He's un unchangeable in his being, attributes, purposes, and promises. Psalm 102, 27, you are the same, and your years have no end. Malachi 3, 6, the Lord says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. And there, uh, notice he's... he's um, Reminding them and him and himself, in a sense, of, of his covenant with them. J James 1, 17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation 
or shadow due to change. And then Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Notice there that um, we'll talk about the deity of Christ later, but notice there that it's, it's the writer of Hebrews is applying that same um, immutable attribute that can only belong to God. He's applying it to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Who among us can say that about ourselves? <laughs> uh. Yeah, yeah, he changed. Yeah, he changes. For example, um, he's. In other words, let me, let me put it on the negative side. Some, some have said that he he can't have emotions because that would constitute change. But we know clearly that that from the scripture that that God. Um, uh, has emotions and and he reacts um, differently um, in in uh, according to the situation. So, for example, um, he sends Jonah to to preach to the Ninevites in 40 days. And and, and incidentally, there wasn't any uh, qualifications put on it. Really, he just said, "In 40 days, you're going to be destroyed." So, so there, you know, you, you've got God's anger displayed, but when the Ninevites repent, um, he, he responds with mercy, right? So, so you've, got, um, you've got a difference, a, a different response, depending on, on, on the situation that he's dealing with. So it's a change. There's a change specifically there in, in how he's how he's dealing with those those people. And that, by the way, does not require uh, a, a change in himself, like as though he would change his mind, because um, he he knew from the, from the beginning what he was going to do. So. Uh, I don't think that it doesn't require a change of mind, purpose, or something like that. In fact, that, that's, again, one reason that's pointed out here. Uh, he's unchangeable in his being, attributes, and purposes. So his purpose doesn't change, but um, he does, um, I just use the word emotions, I guess. He does express different emotions at, at, different, uh, at different points in time, just much like we do. I mean, and the reason we do is because um, we're made in His image. One, he's not moody like we are. <laughs> His, remember the reason when we're thinking about the attributes and uh, the the reason these other terms like perfections are used or excellencies is because He's not uh, infected with sin. The way you and I are, so even when I even when I love, my love is is tainted. You know, I'm 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 a sinner. So, um, but it's not so with God. So. Mm-hmm.
Amen. Yeah, amen. And it, it made Jonah very mad. <laughs> he, he, was, he was looking for him to be destroyed. Uh, he didn't even want to go, go preach to him in the first place, you know. He had other things to do. Um, <laughs> I think I heard a guy say one time, I think this is true. I mean, I've thought about it. that. That's what that book is about, by the way, uh, Jonah's attitude. I mean, you just, you just, you get a really, uh, God just hones in on that. And, and uh, it, for us, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a mirror reflection. Hmm? He's still using. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So, yeah, so, so you know, you, you can see th- things there like where, where he's changing in the sense that he, it, there's just a difference. He's responding differently in different scenarios, but um, he is unchangeable in the ways that Scripture declares he's unchangeable. So, uh, and again, some examples, be, his being, attributes, purposes, and promises. He, his being, I mean, think about his being. He's the only perfect being. So that means that he doesn't change. Uh, you know, we're 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 not we're not uh, uh, properly, uh, as someone has said, beings. Uh, we're more uh, be, we're constantly becomings. You know, we're, because all we know is change. There's a you know ancient poet. Um, his name slips in my mind right now. Um, who said, <coughs> "You can't put your foot in the same river twice." And that, that's a true statement, um, you know, because the water has moved on. You, you, if you put your foot in there and pull it out and then put it right back in, it's different water. It's changed, and and we're changing like that constantly. And anybody who has a mirror knows knows that. So, if, I mean, if you have it and you look at it, we change. But God doesn't change. His being doesn't change. I am the Lord. I change not. He says. All right, um, probably going to have to stop there. Let me see, see real quick. Uh, let me just close out with these three things, um, the three big O's here. Um, omnipotence, omniscience, and omnipresence. Um, some, some of God's attributes are communicable. So, in other words, they, they transfer... In, in some degree or some likeness to us. So, for example, love. God is love. The Scripture tells us God is love. Well, He's created us in such a way that we also love. So that's a communicable attribute. Mercy. Anger. Anger is an attribute. Anger. That, those things are communicable. God, they, God has communicated them to us so that we... We experience them as well, just like we were talking about the emotions. Um, but uh, some of his attributes are non-communicable attributes or incommunicable. That, that things like his uh, omnipresence. We don't know anything about that. I mean, we, we don't. We don't. As far as experience, we don't know one place at a time. That's all. That's all we can do. But God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. Now, that's, that'll blow your mind. You think on that for a while. He's everywhere all the time. Psalm 139, you know, David talks about 
um, going different places to get away from the Lord, and he, he can't. You know, even if I go to Sheol, into the grave, David says, you're there. God is everywhere all the time. He's omnipresent. God is omniscient. That is, he's all-knowing. So he knows everything, and he knows everything perfectly. You know, I was listening to a, a as I was driving today, I was listening to the historian um, talk about the, uh, the Battle of Gettysburg, and we, we're so limited. You know, he was talking about, uh, in, at one point, he was talking about the difficulty in writing history and, and trying to figure out, you know, what's true and what's not. What time, you know, one of the things I thought was kind of interesting, he was, he was trying to f- figure out the time. You don't, we don't realize a lot of times what kind of work goes into all that, but he's trying to figure out times that things happen because he's wanting to know during the battle, uh, you know, like if this is happening at the same time, this is happening. And, that, and he was talking about how difficult that was because though people had watches, timepieces, they didn't have any standard. So everybody just kind of guesstimated, ah, it's about 2 o'clock, and they've set their timepiece. And everybody's doing that, so you can imagine um, there, there was no, uh, there was no standing like he, like he said. There was no atomic clock <laughs> or laptop with the, uh, with the correct time that they could all look at. They were basically guesstimating, and, and in their, in their writings and their diaries and so forth, you know, such and such happened at two o'clock. Well, that may not have been. That's a guesstimation. It may not have been two o'clock at all. So he's just talking about the difficulty um, in, in figuring all that, all that out. So our view. Is, is very limited that way. You know, when we look back, I mean, sometimes we, we, were, we have a memory, but even our own memory, if we were there for the event, even our own memory fails us. And we don't even know what the future holds. I mean, we can't look there at all. But God is omniscient. He sees past, present, future, all perfectly. He sees it all, and He sees it all perfectly. Um, it's, you know, there's no, it's not foggy, it's not out of view like the future is for us, foggy like the past, um, or even in the present, a lot of times, you know, I don't have a clue what's going on, I don't know about you, but, um, and uh, God sees it all, and he sees it all perfectly, he's, um, he's omniscient, all-knowing, we saw some examples of that in John, there's a couple times that they, they stated that. Peter, you know, when, when Jesus kept asking him, do you love me? You, you know all things, Lord. You know that I love you. Um, they, 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 had, they had come to believe that he, he knew everything. He's omniscient. And um, he's omnipotent, all-powerful, all-powerful, so that he can do anything he determines to do. This is almost like what we were talking about, about immutability, unchangeable. It's not, not that he can do anything. He can, he can do anything that he purposes. He, for example, he can't lie. I mean, the Scripture plainly declares that. He, he cannot lie. He cannot be tempted, the Scripture tells us. But anything that God um, purposes to do according to his own good will and pleasure um, he can do. There, there is nobody that can stop him. See, I was thinking I had a, a 
Oh, yeah. I'll just give you a couple of things, um, a couple of references here. For example, Genesis 18:14. the question is raised, is anything too hard for God? Um, Jeremiah 32:17. 17, uh, there, <laughs> there, there's a, essentially a reply. Um, nothing is too hard for God. Matthew 19, 26, um, Jesus says that all things are, are possible um, or nothing shall be impossible for God. Also, the angel says that to Mary in Luke 1, verse 37. God is able to do all His holy will. There are no limits on what He decides to do. He's omnipotent. And, and nobody can stop Him and say, you know, what are you doing? So he's omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent. And those, of course, are, are not communicable attributes. We, we, uh, th th those, those are examples in which God is entirely uh, different than we are. All right. Any other comments before we dismiss? In a what? Oh. That's right. Amen. If you need a house, cut it down, right? If you need some lumber, cut it down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. They say that about cockroaches and stuff too, but I smash them. <laughs> uh oh, all right. Anybody else? Well, we got a little taste anyway why, why David says uh, God is great and his greatness is unsearchable. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word, Lord. It's such a blessing to us to read your own testimony of yourself and, and to be um, graced to, to be able to think about these things and consider these things that you've given to us for that purpose, that we might take them and, and, and muse and let the fire burn. Father, we do, as always, ask for uh, understanding uh, in these things. We want to have a greater awareness and a greater appreciation, a greater uh, sense of awe concerning you and who you are, what you've done, how great you love. So, Father, we pray, use your, your word and your spirit to, to create this within us so that we may um, indeed be in all of you and be the witnesses that you've called us to be. May it all be for your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.